is it worth $25,000 worth of tuition just to take Zoom classes? The true value of an experience and of the degree is going to be really put under a microscope over the next few years. Hi, I'm Isabel Hogol, and this is Borderline, a podcast for defined global citizens. There has been no more rewarding experience in my life than that of being an international student, first an exchange student in high school, then again later as an undergrad. So when the pandemic hit and campuses around the world started to close, my first thought was for all those kids around the world for whom a once-in-a-lifetime experience was ending early, and for all the prospective students who may not yet, and perhaps never, experience this. But beyond the personal hardships, the collapse of the international student market could spell disaster for universities. Some worry about their enrollment plummeting, while others are inundated. In New South Wales, the Australian Financial Review reports that applications for the 2021 school year have nearly doubled. Local youth who won't be able to take a gap year traveling and are looking at a terrible job market ahead are opting for university education instead. But without international students, who bring $300 billion a year to the global economy and often subsidize the education of nationals, the financials no longer add up. To talk about this, I've invited Jamie Conkey to the podcast. Jamie works for two startups in student recruitment, Grok and Concourse. We went to college at the same place in the same time, but we didn't really know each other then. No, we properly met one night when we were both lonesome travelers in Beijing and chatted around a dinner of Peking duck. I instantly recognized the kindred spirit. Jamie has worked for universities, traveled all over the world, Asia especially, and met thousands of young people looking to realize their dreams of international education. Let's jump right in with her. Can you tell me a bit about sort of what was the situation, you know, pre-COVID in terms of, of the presence and the importance of international students in universities? And I'm, I'm assuming you know mostly about the U.S., but mm-hmm. feel free to expand beyond. Yeah. Um, so I, I would say... It's been really interesting the past several years. Um, the U.S. has had a had a really high peak um, of international students there a few years ago, and and since then there's been there's been a lot of concern about is this a bubble? <laughs> When's it going to pop? What's you know what needs to happen? And all the while, this kind of concern around um, the domestic numbers. There's just fewer young people than there previously have been. So a lot of universities have been sort of shifting their priority, not priority, maybe that's the wrong word, but they have been increasing a lot of priority to international to supplement the impending decrease of of domestic students, right? Um, and for a lot of schools, in particular, the, the public institutions where who do charge a higher tuition rate for international students, just as they do for out-of-state students. Um, this is particularly um, of concern for them, right? So they can they could supplement their lowering, um, their decreasing domestic numbers with their international students. So you saw a lot of them start to turn more and more to international students and and working with educational agents overseas and trying to to build up. Um, markets overseas it, where they maybe previously didn't didn't spend much time or money in. Um, so we we saw that already kind of starting to happen. And then at the same time, you saw these giant powerhouses, you know, like China in particular, um, and Taiwan, Korea, 
um, Singapore, Hong Kong started to really increase their global marketing of international students. And they had not previously been major players um, in the international student recruitment field. So um, suddenly students, you know, in Africa or students in Eastern European countries are starting to be recruited by Asian universities. So the, so the global competition overall was increasing as well. So it was really starting to get pretty hairy out there, to be honest. Um, and the, you know, everyone wants, everyone kind of wants a piece of the pie, so to speak. So, so yeah, that's sort of what's been building up until, up until this craziness. That's, that's interesting. I, I, I certainly was not wooed uh, when I was an international student, you know, 15 years ago, but it sounds like there's a lot of wooing happening now. <laughs> we missed out. <laughs> Story of my life. When the, you know, the mess, capital M, um, started happening, you know, how did that impact um, that, that drive to recruit? And, and the students who were currently or were then uh, in universities? I was based in Malaysia at that time. Um, and in Malaysia, obviously, we were getting daily updates in January about the situation unfolding in China. Um, and just because of the nature of my work, you know, there was a lot of concern about, you know, China is a huge, it is the biggest market for international students globally. Um, and so we, we were, you know, there, we were trying to spread the word among universities that, you know, this could really impact you. Um, but I think in January in particular, the feeling was sort of like, oh, it's just sort of a, a funny little outbreak. It'll go away. Maybe we don't send our recruiters out to China this spring. Maybe we have to adjust some of our events to be later in the spring. Um, it really, there was no real sense of urgency outside of, of Asia, to be honest, um, about what to do or that this was going to be a longstanding issue. And then as February and March started to roll out and we saw this thing spread um, into Western countries, unfortunately, um, then they started to clearly pay attention, right? So by the time this started to really ramp up in February, March, a lot of students had already secured, or they had offers, or they thought they had had admission offers to their university. So I'm talking about specifically grade 12, you know, the students in their final years of high school. Um, a lot of them had plans, but then of course, there's concern around like, can I get there? Are they going to even have classes on, you know, in person? Um, if they go online, is this going to be worth it? So for the, for the students in their final year, um, this has been really stressful because they thought they had their plan sort of set. Um, they had, you know, they had a lot of them, the way it works is a lot of them will get conditional offers that, that hinge on final leaving exams, many of which have been canceled. Um, and that's, that's a huge thing for a student, you know, if a student's admission to a great institution hinges on their final IB scores, um, and then IB goes and cancels, then what, what does that mean for their admission? And, and so there's questions being sent, and the students are frantic, and the counselors who are trying to help them are frantic about what does this mean for my student? What does this mean for my child? Um, and the universities don't have any answers because they're also sort of reeling from this decision. So it's been very messy. Um, and it's 
it's stressful for any any child and any parent, you know, even within a domestic setting. Exactly. Yeah. But then you add, you know, the the immigration Mm -hmm. issues, like it can take months to get a visa. You can't really wait for universities to decide what they're going to do in July. That's right. Yeah, there's and and if you know, if you not to go too US centric, but I mean, the US in particular is is struggling because the the embassies and the consular offices around the world, most of them don't have any openings for they're not taking visa appointments right now. Um, and it's it's been concerning for students and their families who are trying to see, okay, when is the earliest appointment I can get when they go to the website and the earliest date they see is November. Um, you know, so, so it, there's just been a lot of questions on both sides and universities trying to communicate to students that we hear your questions. We don't have the answers, but we hear you <laughs> and, we're, and we're doing our best, but you know, that's, it's not enough to a student and their family who are getting ready to spend a lot of money and go abroad. So what is the risk to universities if you know, if we're seeing more deferrals, if, if, you know, the mm-hmm. next semester, whether, the, whether that's fall or, or January for the Southern Hemisphere, um, ends up just getting uh, less enrollment. The, the risk here, and we, you know, we sort of touched on this speaking specifically about U.S. public institutions who rely so heavily on their international um, students and, and the tuition revenue that they bring in, if you're going to see if you're going to see a massive drop in in your international enrollment, that's going to have huge ramifications. And we're not just talking about like your administration and your coaches needing to take, uh, you know, like salary cuts and things like that. This is this goes far far beyond that. Those international students supplement scholarships for domestic students. They supplement tuition discounts for for local students um, that. That money supplements a lot of things that benefit everyone on the university. Not it's not like it just goes into the president's pockets or anything. So um, it it could also affect their domestic numbers and the amount of aid that the institution is able to provide um, to local students. Um, could we see universities um, even shut down? Absolutely, over this <laughs> absolutely. I think I think you know you're we were watching the situation in the U.S. Prior to coronavirus, there were already a lot of institutions sort of just hanging by a thread, um, just barely meeting their enrollment targets to stay afloat. Um, And the fact that you're, I don't know if you've seen this or if this is being talked about internationally, but there are a lot of U.S. institutions who are putting putting their staff and faculty on furloughs and sometimes even letting letting them go or, or merging departments. Um, you're seeing that happen as well. I haven't heard of that really happening outside of the U.S., um, so I'm not entirely sure what you know what the U.K. is doing or things like that to sort of tighten up. But you know, this this last since January until now, with with universities globally closing, you've got a lot of students who are demanding, right, possibly rightfully so, refunds on their housing deposits and or on their housing that they have put put up forward for the dormitory costs. And um, if they if they do meal plans, they want refunds on those things, which is understandable. And then sometimes they're also asking for refunds or discounts on tuition since everything is going online. And, you know, universities are, are trying to, to meet those demands, but you understand that that's also like millions of dollars out 
um, their pockets as well. So, so I think the the likelihood of institutions shutting down is pretty pretty real. It's it's more it's it's a certain type of institution, right? I don't think we're going to see any of the big huge powerhouses um, um, closed down or anything like that. They will have to adjust their strategies, but the smaller schools, I think, might might struggle. The the schools like the the kind of like third tier schools like no one's going to shut down Harvard right right, right. it's it, I think if anything you could um if if a student has to go online for Harvard or for one of the big big name schools the the value of the degree doesn't necessarily decrease when they finish whether they had to do a year online because of COVID or or not the value doesn't necessarily go down the problem I think for a lot of of smaller institutions that are possibly fantastic institutions, but they really sell students on the experience that they provide on campus. If you're going online, suddenly that experience doesn't mean much. Um, and so, you know, the students are really going to be relying on, on the face value of the degree. So mm -hmm. that could be, that could be something that really hurts them. Yeah. I mean, speaking as a, as a former international student, I know like, I mean, it's going to sound super superficial, but Uh, you know, as a as a teenager, you know, you're looking at American universities on television and you're seeing that that residential campus, which is really is not a thing that exists in a lot of European countries, mm -hmm. for instance. And it it's a huge part of the appeal. Right. Uh, it's an experience. Right. That's that is exactly that is exactly the thing. So, you know, it's not to say that those institutions don't offer fantastic degrees and fantastic education but if if sort of what they were selling was the campus experience the on-campus experience they're gonna have a harder time yeah right you're gonna have you're gonna have to wonder if you want to spend right. $25,000 a year on on zoom classes <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah yeah so you mentioned that uh you know there was this global competition for student enrollment and that Asian universities had really come on the scene in the past few years Mm -hmm. um, given that, you know, the pandemic was much better handled on their end, uh, in their countries, uh, are they going to be better set up to kind of win that, that war for war in quotes <laughs> for, <laughs> for students, for admissions? I think very possibly a lot of what we're hearing, um, from counselors and students, um, particularly in, in Asian countries, is that they the, there's a desire for the students to stay a bit closer to home. Um, whereas previously, maybe they had been, you know, really dead set on going to Canada, the UK or the US, there's, there's an understandable uh, desire to want to be a little bit closer to home. Um, and also, I think you're going to see that from the parents too. So for some of the markets where the parents and families are more influential in the student's college decision, Um, there's probably going to be some pressure to stick a little closer to home. We saw, I mean, just the way, the way that current students were, were treated, um, you know, many of them being sort of sent home or sent off campus with really nowhere to go once the school's closed. I think that that, that's going to resonate. Um, that's going to, that's going to be remembered. Um, and that's not to say that some universities didn't handle it really well. There's a lot, there's some amazing schools that did an unbelievable job of support, you know, like I, I read about King's University College in, in London, Ontario, this little school, um, and they they didn't kick their, their international students off. They 
built out meal delivery plans immediately to support them. They've got student services checking on them daily to make sure the kids are okay and they're, you know, feel, feeling mentally okay through this whole thing. So, you know, some handled it better than others. And I think that that's going to, you know, parents talk and, and, and especially in Asia, um, it gets around about how, how institutions handled it. So I imagine that, you know, the Chinese universities are, are gonna do pretty well. The Taiwanese universities will do well. Yeah, I think I think that could be very possible. And because our, our most of the students uh, Asian as well that, that yeah. are looking for those schools. Correct. Yeah, they're gonna. Yeah, definitely. You're seeing a lot of students in you know, in even in Africa that are like, maybe I'll go to China instead of you know going to the U.S. or to the U.K. So. And we've seen some you know ugly racism as well you know against asians against asians early on now you know with with african-americans yeah that certainly makes it less appealing definitely uh every time every time something happens that gets that gets put on on the global news front i think that that just makes it louder and this time in particular as you mentioned i mean this the the anti-asian sentiment um there for a while obviously that's sort of been clouded over now with what's happening in the U.S. Um, with, with the with the Black Lives Matter movement and, and things like that. So I, I don't think it's playing well for, for families who are thinking about sending their students away during a pandemic to an expensive place that's now, you know, got a lot of term, political and, and, and racial turmoil that's happening within the country. It's not a super inviting place to be right now. Yeah, understandably. And I, and I had read also, um, you know, tell me to what extent that's true, but that, you know, national politics, whether that's Trump in the US or Brexit in the UK had also made already, uh, an, already had an impact on, on enrollment numbers or application numbers. Yeah, absolutely. In the US in particular, where most of our, most of our international students are coming for STEM subjects, um, and most of our students are coming from Asia for those STEM subjects, when, when the politics starts to take a turn to where we're not going to allow those students to apply for jobs or to get that work experience in the country. And that's always been something that's been so highly sought after and valued um, as part of our education system here. Suddenly, what it, is, is it, that's back to the question of value, like, is it worth it? Like, if I can't, if I can't potentially get a job in the U.S. for a few years as part of my study package is it worth it is it worth the risks is it worth the money um yeah <laughs> so so the politics definitely are, are gonna play into this so trying to look and i realize there's tons we don't know yeah about, but looking you know ahead to the future to the next you know not the immediate crisis but the next five ten years whatever mm-hmm. do you how do you see this impacting uh, international education is it going to like speed up things that were already happening are we going to go back to you know the old normal <laughs> I hope not um <laughs> I hope it won't go back to the old normal I why not I think um you know kids students are are evolving and the and the system is evolving and and what we know about predictors of student success is evolving and so 
you're seeing this in particular, this shift in the United States. And I think that other countries who 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 mirror some of what we do will, will be following suit. But you're seeing um, the, the impact of, of coronavirus in particular has had it's been massive on the standardized testing industry. Right. So students being able to take the SATs or take their, you know, take their, even just their leaving exams like IB and AP and things like that has been greatly affected. Even the Gao, the Gaokao in China is getting pushed back at least a month, um, which means, you know, institutions that typically made admission decisions based on those things are not, they're not getting those. So they're gonna have at least a year's worth of data to see, okay, we let students in without these tests. How are they doing? How's it going? Do we need these tests? And suddenly there's these there's all these questions. Um, I shouldn't say suddenly because there's actually been a longstanding movement um, in the US to do away with standardized testing um, for, for various uh, access and equity reasons. Um, but you're, you're seeing a lot of institutions now move to go test optional or you know the UC system, the California system, um, basically saying they're not going to be requiring SATs or ACTs for the following um, two years, which is huge. That's huge. We're foc we're very focused right now on the students who are graduating right now, right? We're very focused on year twelve, but actually, it's the the, the year the students underneath them, the year eleven students, are the ones um, who still have one more year that have. I think they have a lot of questions ahead of them. Um, because they don't know when they'll be able to take those exams and they don't know what's going to happen on campus um, uh, on the campuses of all these institutions. So they actually have even more questions ahead of them. How is this? How are these online classes that they had to do for a semester or a full year? How are those going to be interpreted by universities around the world when it's time for them to start applying? Um, so so <laughs> there's so so many unanswered questions and I'm sure it's causing a lot of anxiety for the students. I guess one thing that's good is that nobody knows. So it's not like somebody's holding all the answers and, and, and keeping it a secret. Like we're literally all kind of swimming through this murk together. Institutions are going to have to adjust. They're going to have to think more clearly about what they're looking for in students and what what makes a good student to them. They're gonna have to articulate that a little bit better than just this mad grab for applications. Um, it's gonna have to be a little bit more thoughtful. And I think that they'll have to think about what learning, what successful learning on their campuses looks like. Is it, um, is online an option? Are you suddenly going to be able to accommodate, you know, 50,000 more students than you previously thought? Is your capacity going to go up because online works out really well for your students? Maybe that could open doors for some institutions. I don't know. Um, but I think they're going to, they're all, they're all furiously looking at their financial models right now to see, right? Like, do we discount online tuition or, or what does that mean um, for us? Ultimately, what do you think will kind of, will there be a um, sustained appeal to, you know, traveling halfway across the world for a physical experience of education? I think there will always be, I think there will always be value in traveling abroad and to studying abroad with, with students who are different than you and getting a different point of view. And I, I don't think that the value will go down 
I think if anything, this could this could make Western education and and um, in particular, just because it has been known to be so expensive, it could make it significantly more accessible. The students who previously never dreamed of going abroad because it was just too expensive, maybe now they can they can afford the online option. Um, but I think I think the question the questions around the true value of an experience and of the degree is going to be really put under a microscope over the next few years. Is it, you know, is it worth $25,000 worth of tuition just to take Zoom classes, as you said, um, you know, or what is the actual value of the degree is going to be, is going to be looked at more clearly, I think. My alma mater, the University of Missouri School of Journalism, has a study abroad and internship program in London. And every year I meet its students. Sometimes a student stands out. This year I met Isabel Robles, a young woman who really impressed me with her dedication and maturity. She was kind enough to leave me a voicemail about her own experience of being forced to go home as an international student. Let's listen to what she has to say and then I put her story to Jamie as well. It was about beginning of March when we started to hear word and had an understanding about the increase of coronavirus cases um, and problems in Europe. So it wasn't until other programs from our university were being sent home that I think for myself personally, I was starting to even think about the fact that we could be sent home and the dean of the journalism school reached out to us wanting to talk after they sent home the first program, asking how we'd felt, how our work environments were, um, the closures in London, and just how generally we felt safe or not. And then it ended up the very next day, we received the announcement from Trump that he was going to be closing the borders um, for any travelers from Europe. Um, I think, of course, we knew that didn't apply to citizens, but that was the moment that we all knew we would be going home and very soon, and sure enough, the next day, we were told we had about five days to get back. I remember getting the push notification from the Trump administration. Now that I think about it, it might even have been 1 a.m. or something crazy like that, and just immediately reading it, calling my mom, and bursting into tears, knowing, saying, this is it, we have to go home. Um, I think just in that moment, it was realizing you know, the student loans that I'd taken out, the savings my parents had put away, um, all of those things I had set aside for money for um, just all the expectations um, were being brought to a halt and all the things I wanted to do ending. Um, of course, when we got home, however, within just a few days and everything was beginning to lock down more concretely in the U.S., I was definitely happy to be home and to be safe and was able to cope with it quite quickly. <sighs> yeah, that, that's, that's insane. That was something we didn't really talk much about, but like students literally being sent home, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in particular international students being sent home um, and not knowing whether or not they'll be able to come back to finish their degree or what that's going to, that's crazy. Um, so yeah, that's, that's gotta be, yeah, it's heartbreaking. Really. You're right. That's exactly the right word. Especially as someone who's had these experiences and who knows what it can do. Yeah. Life changing they are and, and how much 
they really shape who you become as an adult. Mm -hmm. If you have to put a silver lining on it, this is something that, you know, the, the class of 2020 and the class of 2021 will have in common globally. I sort of, I sort of wonder if like five or seven years down the line, if they're not backpacking through, you know, through Southeast Asia and they meet up with someone and they, they can talk about what, what the lockdown was like for them over a beer. I don't know. It might be the, it might be the thing that ties this, this group of youths all together. And, you know, it certainly is going to be a generation that, that knows something about resilience, I think. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Class of 2020, congratulations. We know it was a tough one. Class of 2021, good luck. We're with you. This will work out. If you're a planner and a plotter like I was as a teenager, this is certainly a wrench in the plans. If it's any consolation, and I know it's not the same, but I got rejected for my dream school. And Plan B turned out to be amazing. Sometimes a little pivoting works out. If you know of any programs that are open for the year ahead, anything that's available to people who wanted to study abroad and whose plans got thwarted, please let me know and I'll make sure to pass it along and share it. I want to thank Jamie Conkey for being guinea pig number two on this podcast. I want to thank Isabel Robles for sharing her story. There's a couch for you in London as soon as the world comes back to normal. Thank you for listening. Please again share, rate, review this podcast on Apple Store and everywhere else. It makes a huge difference. I'll talk to you next week.